It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield, and I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard. The Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we've got Coming Around Again with Billboard.com Senior Associate Editor Andrew Unterberger. Andrew will be chatting with freelance writer and humanizing the vacuum blog creator Alfred Soto about the 30th anniversary of New Order's Substance compilation, why it stands apart from traditional greatest hit sets, and why New Order were ahead of their time for a rock band in so many ways. But first... Before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode, and give us a rating or review while you're at it. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. So, fun facts about New Order Substance. Did you know? Um, though the album is effectively a greatest hits compilation, the band hadn't even charted a song on the Billboard Hot 100 until 1987. And more interestingly, their first hit on the chart at all, which was also their first top 40 hit, was True Faith, a new single that was included on Substance. It hadn't even appeared on any album beforehand, and it was it first appeared on Substance, and that happened to be their very first hit. So they came out with what was effectively a greatest hits album without any actual like Hot 100 hit singles on it. Though they did have a bunch of hits on the dance charts, so it wasn't like they were like a nobody, obviously. But they didn't have a big sort of mainstream pop breakthrough hit until True Faith. Um, the song would actually peak at number 32 on the Hot 100, while the Substance album would hit number 36 on the Billboard 200 chart. And that was their first top 40 set on that tally. The album actually spent 60 weeks on the chart in total and is their longest running album on the chart. Crazily enough... Though the Substance album is out of print now, it remains one of the most lauded hits compilations of the 1980s. So, with that said, let's hear all about Substance on Coming Around Again. Hello. 
Hello, and welcome to Coming Around Again, Billboard's anniversary-themed podcast celebrating anniversaries in the music world. Uh, this week's one of pretty tremendous importance to me. Uh, it's the 30th anniversary of New Order Substance, which I've, I've called my favorite album, even though it's maybe not technically an actual album. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, uh, on the other line, we have uh, my ex-co-writer at Stylist Magazine, a creator of the blog Humanizing the Vacuum, freelance music writer, one of my favorite music writers anywhere, really, uh, Alfred Soto. What's up, Alfred? Hey, Andrew. How's it going? It's going all right. Uh, I'm excited to talk about substance with you, man. I can't wait. Uh, so, some people who you know are listening and maybe don't know New Order that well, uh, they might wonder why we're talking about what's, what's essentially a compilation. Uh, it's, a, it's a singles compilation, really, but it's, it's a little bit of a gray area between what you count as a compilation or an album because you know a, a lot of the a lot of the songs are non-album tracks. Those that were on New Order albums were usually in different versions. Uh, and there's there's a couple of new songs. Uh, do you consider this to be like a new order album? Would you call it your favorite new order album, Alfred? I will consider it an album. Yes, uh, my favorite new order favorite new order album. No, and I'll say more about that in a couple minutes. Okay. Uh, I know there's a there, there's a there's a school of of criticism again from the early '60s onward that disparages the idea of a greatest hits compilation as an album because it lacks gestalt. Uh, a sequence of material that plays off each other and so on. Um, I think I've always found that argument a bit specious, and the Spotify age has, for me, rendered it almost obsolete. So, yes, I fully consider it an album, and even an album in the classical sense. In other words, songs that do comment and play off each other and comment on each other. Yeah, I mean, there there is a definite flow to it, and if if you... You read it a certain way. I mean, it, obviously, it sort of tells the story of, of, of New Order's early career. But it, uh, yeah, the, the, there are transitions to it that that feel uncanny for for a compilation. And the fact that they're all the the, the collected twelve inches of, of New Order, uh, which is you know the the extended remixes that were very big in the eighties, uh, it, it gives it a kind of coherence that I think a lot of compilations don't have. Uh, now, was was this your your introduction to New Order? I mean, this, this came out uh, in nineteen eighty seven. I think it was their their best selling album at the time. Uh, now you're a little older than I am, and you might you might have actually uh, you know already been cognizant of New Order at the time. So, what what was your introduction to Substance? Actually, my introduction to the New Order universe really was with the release of the electronic album in nineteen ninety one. That was the, that was the collaboration between Bernard Sumner of New Order, lead singer-guitarist, and guitarist Johnny Marr of the Smiths, with a couple of key collaborations with Pet Shop Boys, Neil Pennant, and Chris Lowe. Um, I had heard their single, Get the Message, on college radio, and I was a, a junior in high school at the time, becoming a senior, and I was pretty spellbound, actually. And I had a best friend who was already a New Order fan, and he loaned me Technique, and it was through technique that I went backwards. And then when I got the substance, I realized that I knew a lot of these songs because if you live in Miami, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, you were inundated in freestyle and what we call bass, mm-hmm. bass music. And True Faith, as much as Depeche Mode's Strange Love, um, was a part of a freestyle playlist. Um, I heard them against Stevie B., um, expose anyone you care to mention from that era. So when I heard True Faith, I said, "Oh, I know this. I didn't know that the Water uh, wrote and sang it." Yeah, it's interesting because I think you know when when you kind of talk about New Order in the broad sense, most people just kind of classify them as a synth pop band. But you you listen right. to Substance, and you know they start off 
you know, as as a very kind of Joy Division esque, you know, obviously Ceremony, the, the first song on the record, I think, was actually written uh, with Ian Curtis and Joy Division. Uh, it's right. a, a very very standard post punk, but uh, you know, a little bit more melodic, and that turns into synth pop. But it also touches on, you know, it touches on electro, it touches on uh, you know stadium rock in some sections, and and yeah, it touches right. on freestyle towards the end. Uh, and, and I think that's a spread of, of of genres and kind of different influences that they don't necessarily get the credit they deserve for. Uh, True Faith, I guess th- this was sort of the, the, the pivotal song off Substance because it was the it was the one totally new song on the on the record, and I guess it was their it was their first top forty hit too. Uh, now it was right. this was a song that you remember actually living with uh, you know on the radio on MTV and like just being kind of a big mainstream hit for New Order. I do. I mean, it was never played on top forty radio at least here in Miami where where I grew up. Uh, it was played on the freestyle stations on on the dance stations. Um, but what struck me then was this was a guitar-based drum song, mm-hmm. albeit with an electronic sheen, played on a dance station. And that's what was a big discovery for me was Substance, which you touched on, which is this was a band that was writing with sequencers and keyboards, but also played st- straightforward four-on-the-floor rock, mm-hmm. guitar-based drums. That was, at the time for me, shocking, because it was there was still, at least in my thinking, that there was dance over here, and rock over there. Now, in my mind, there were no hierarchies. I grew up with dance music in Miami. I love both genres. But for a band to, uh, how should I put this, cross-pollinate as successfully and as willfully as New Order did uh, certainly astounded me when I was, whatever, 16, 17 years old. The video certainly as well, I think became a kind of an iconic part of, of the New Order you know, iconography. It's, it, it, it kind of follows in the same path as a lot of their like their 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 album art with Peter Seville and their their song titles, which are kind of abstract, and that it has a lot of kind of heavy handed symbolism to it, and you're not necessarily sure uh, exactly what they're going for, but it's it's all very striking and it's it's very it's very powerful, uh, right? And uh, although True Faith was like I guess that was the only totally new song on the album, but it wasn't. It wasn't the only song they recorded for it because they they redid a couple of their old tracks, uh, Temptation and Confusion, uh, as, as new tracks for the, for the compilation. And I, I never totally understood. Do, do you know why they did that? Do, do you have any idea like why they decided to re-record those songs? Um, the only thing I've I've picked up over the years, and it might be at this point apocryphal, mm-hmm. um, is that Bernard Bernard Sumner said that they hated the way the early recordings were mixed. But I don't know the aesthetic reasons why they were redone. You know, why those songs, Temptation and, and, and Confusion, were, were re, re-recorded and not, say, Thieves Like Us mm-hmm. um, or In a Lonely Place and the other tracks on, on Substance. Yeah, there are other songs on the album that you would think that would be, even, you know, that would call out for that even more. Uh, do you have a preference between the original versions of Temptation and Confusion and, and the re-recordings? Well... My introduction to Temptation and Confusion was thanks to Substance, sure. so it, and it took me several years. And in the pre-internet era, you didn't, you couldn't find the original Temptation and Substance unless you went to a used record store and bought. In the case of Temptation, the original 1981-1982 EP, um, or in the case of Confusion, actually bought the 12-inch of Confusion, which came out, I guess, in late '83. Um, that was it. There was no other way they were not connected. Right. They disappeared for years until that box set retro that came out in 2002, I believe. Um, do I prefer them? They're different. I will say that I think the new confusion um, 
is a letdown. I heard the original years later, I want to say almost a decade later, and it was very much of its time, which is precisely why I loved it. It had the big, uh, those the, the very primitive um, sequencing, um, the chanting, um, the DX7 synthesizer. Um, and when you pair it with that video, the iconic video which showed the band grooving in very early 80s New York, visiting, visiting I think, the Danceteria, or the Peppermint Lounge, I forget which, um, with Arthur Baker, the producer, co-writer. Um, to me, that song it probably captured the era, the sound of that era, the ethos of that era, even more than their more famous Blue Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Temptation, I could, that's, that's such a protean song. It, they, they've recut that song so many times over the years that it, it's almost made to be um, almost a Mobius strip. You know, it, it, it could be slowed down. It could be accelerated. You can start with that long intro. Um, you can do the guitar strums. You can eliminate them. It's it's whatever the band wanted to be at that moment, which I guess is what makes it such an integral part of its, of its history. Um, and you can hear the break from the Joy Division sound the second those chords hit. It's like suddenly mm-hmm. sun, a, a shaft of sunlight, a shaft of sunlight through clouds. Um, they discover major chords. You know? <laughs> uh, that's 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 a big deal. Um, and from that point on, there was no looking back for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned about the structure of Temptation because you're right. They, they've basically gutted that song in, in every way that they can. They've they've you know they they've, they've started with the verse, they started with the chorus, they started with the bridge, and and, and they've changed right. what what the meaning of those designations even means for the song. Uh, Right. I, I personally prefer the 87 version because you know that was also the one I was introduced to actually I think even before substance it was on the uh, the train spotting soundtrack I think that's how a lot of people right. kind of in the 90s my age or a little bit older uh, were introduced to it and I, I like the structure of that one the best because I, I think it has more of a nice build to it and it peaks with the the oh you've got green eyes section which I think is probably probably the most famous part of the song by now uh, but I do love yeah. I do love the excitement of the original. The excitement has, the, the original has a kind of rawness to it, and it's got that part where uh, I think somebody stuffs a snowball down Barney Summer's shirt, and he kind of yelps in the studio, and, and that's awesome. Right. Uh, and you mentioned the the confusion video. Have you ever seen the video for Holy Ghosts? I will come back like that DFA band from the late aughts. Uh, yes, I have, and it is an homage to Confusion, right? Yeah, it, it's almost I think close to a shot by shot, by shot remake of it, starring uh, Nancy Wang of LCD Sound System, and like I, that right. was that was one of those videos that I you know I never saw on MTV or even like VH1 Classic once that became a thing growing up, uh, and, and I was introduced to it a lot later in life, so I sort of thought it was you know not necessarily one of the the, the more well known videos of the New Order catalog or like an important part of their their iconography, but seeing that video uh, really made me realize just what a special video this was for a lot of people and how it kind of captures the excitement of early 80s New York and underground dance culture in, in a way that, you know, you wouldn't expect certainly a, a bunch of British ex-post-punks to be able to do. It's pretty incredible. And here's what's unusual about the video, and it's an attitude that is um, really it's an ethos that the band extends for most of its first 10 years. The band are spectators. They're mm-hmm. watching. They're at the dance. They're at this club watching other people dance. Just like in a sense, the band has always prized its anonymity. You know, for many years, the albums had no credits, no lyrics. And if you're young, when I discovered them when I was 16, I thought this is this is amazing. They're, they're a band that could be a, a bunch of nobodies, may not be even playing their instruments or writing the lyrics. They're just it's almost self-generated. Mm-hmm. So the the the, the 
the willingness with which the band surrendered any recognizable identity in the video and then later in its music was really impressive. It, wasn't it a huge deal when the band actually showed up in the record sleeve for Low Life? It might. I, that was about before, way before my time. Yeah, it <laughs> Mine too, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did think. I think it's uh, Stephen Morris, the drummer, who's on the the, the, mm-hmm. the front cover. Um, and for a couple of years, I thought, well, I guess that's the singer because the singer usually appears as the frontman, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean. That, so, that, the way that they kind of hide uh, in, in plain sight in their music and, and their videos, uh, I, I, I also sort of draw that the same parallel with their song titles, which uh, I think is sort of an underrated part of the New Order mystique, which is uh, you know, how they, they do kind of you know, title their songs you know, to, to capture an image of feeling rather than anything actually going on in the lyrics of the song. You know, uh, Blue Monday, Bizarre Love Triangle, True Faith, uh, none of those titles ever appear in the lyrics. None of them really even necessarily describe the content of the song in any meaningful way, but they're, they're so evocative and they, they, they pair so well with the, the, you know, the images on the record sleeves and the music videos and, and just the, the feeling of the music. I, I think it, it kind of it creates another dimension to their, to their sound and, and to the, the kind of feeling that they convey to the fans. And, and it certainly made, made being a fan of theirs you know, a more rewarding experience, I would say. Yeah, and 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 that 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 extends. To the, the titles and the videos work the same way. The videos have nothing to do with the song, and most of the time they have no narrative. <laughs> yeah, certainly. They have true. no narrative, so they're they're just a bunch of cool images stuck together in the same way that a lot of their songs are collages with lots of cool instruments making sometimes very primitive sounds together. And so we've talked mostly about uh, the A sides for substance, and I guess on the LP version, that's all it initially was, but. I think uh, with cassette and with CD, when they when they almost re-released, they have it uh, with an entire second disc or second cassette full of B-sides and, and remixes and EP tracks. Uh, do you consider that that part of it to be an essential part of the Substance experience, or do you mostly just think of the 12 A-sides? Well, I didn't get to that. I owned it on cassettes, and at least in America, the, the cassette version was single, okay. single tape. So I didn't hear the second disc until CD, and I want to say 98, 99, when I finally bought it. And by then, my impression of Substance had been fully formed. However, it was the first time I heard the original Confusion, or at least remnants of the original Confusion. Right. Confused instrumental, instrumental, I think it's called, yeah. Right. So I said, oh, so that's what it sounds like. <laughs> um, yeah, otherwise, um, I was glad to own In a Lonely Place. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, are Mesh and or Hurt on there? I forget. Well, Hurt um, is uh, Mesh. There's a song that this is a very confusing part of the, the, the New Order mythos here. But Mesh is that's right. It, it's not that's actually right. it's, it's it's listed on the tape or the CD rather, but it's actually a song called Cries and Whispers. Uh, and right. like, but and they reverse it on a re-release. Like it, it, it's it's very confusing. And I, I've I've I figured it out like 20 years ago and I've since forgotten it. But uh, it, it's it, there, there are some some good kind of deep tracks on, on the second disc, I think. Uh, and, and you mentioned a couple of them. I also really like uh, Lonesome Tonight, which was the, the, the kind of swoony B-side oh, to uh, Thieves Like Us. That's a marvelous track. I mean, that has – no order is good at outros. That has one of oh, my yeah. favorite outros ever. Um, I'm also fond of an early B-side called Procession. Sure, yeah. Uh, I think that, that one has uh, like one of the only Jillian Gilbert vocals on, on a New Order record where she, she kind of does backing and – there, you know, there's also 1963, which which you mentioned earlier, and, and is obviously a great song. Uh, and even even like the the instrumentals, like a confused instrumental, and, and a couple of the you know, Kiss of Death, the version of Perfect Kiss that's on there. Uh, it, it, you know, it's they're not necessarily revelatory on their own, but 
kind of taken together. They do sort of expand the consciousness of, of someone who's listening to New Order as a rock fan or, or just as yeah. a, a fan of alternative music who doesn't necessarily understand club culture the same way. I know it, it was a huge revelation for me the first time I listened to it. Uh, and, you know, maybe not as much as, as the, the first disc, although I, I think there was a period in my life where I flirted with calling the second disc my favorite, but that's, that's patently absurd. I would never do that again. Uh, <laughs> it's not too late. No, no. <laughs> I, think, I think it is too late on that one. But uh, are, there, are there any other songs from you that we haven't talked about that you, you want to shout out as being a little bit underrated or overlooked? On substance? Uh, well, we don't see much discussion um, surrounding Thieves Like Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which probably wouldn't make my top five or even ten new order tracks, but the cleanness of the sound, mm-hmm. and once again the willingness of the band to forget lyrics, forget even making sense, forget even trying to go for original thoughts, <laughs> um, just 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 go for a kind of hymn, a hymn that you would sing in church. You know, it's called love. Of uh, love is the one thing; it's unmentionable or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that uh, Bernard Sumner uh, forgoes any kind of musical training or even common sense to just shout <laughs> the lyrics in, in, in an off-key bray um, makes the song that much more honest and sincere. That's that's always been, despite their lack of affects and the way, again, they, they, for most of the 80s, they presented an almost aloof exterior. There was always... The emotion was always right there. It, it, it was not buried. It was obvious. And that's what you get when you have a non-trained, uh, unwilling lead singer. Yeah, the, the things you're saying, they, they certainly don't sound like conventional compliments, but, but I, I totally understand where you're going with that. And yeah, like uh, you know, Bernard Summers, he's, he's kind of taken it on the chin over the years for some of his lyrics, uh, which I think is in large part deserved, uh, especially as you get uh, towards the late 80s and 90s. And he, he kind of... I would say he kind of stops trying to quite the same extent. I remember there's like a, there's I think there's three separate songs around the technique era that try to rhyme tomorrow with sorrow, and that that gets a little bit excusable <laughs> at a certain point. But uh, yeah, like, like you know, even in thieves like us, that there are lines that kind of make me wince a little bit. But uh, there, there is a certain commitment to it, a certain sincerity that that is overpowering when when combined with the synths and the kind of grand landscapes that they create with their music. It, it's pretty fantastic. Uh, I'd also like to shout out uh, "Everything's Gone Green," the second track on the first disc, which oh yeah, uh, I think kind of gets dismissed as you know it's it's sort of a Blue Monday dry run. I think the band themselves have kind of called it that, uh, but there's a certain scrappiness to it that I like a lot, and, and you can kind of hear uh, the individual contributions of the four members. You know, not necessarily even all operating at the same time, but they each kind of get their their moment to shine on the song, and I think it adds up to something right. pretty special. And that, that's sort of the, one of the underrated things about New Order in general, which is that like. You had four members that were basically all lead members. Uh, it, it was equally true right. in Joy Division, but uh, you know, in, in New Order, uh, you know, Peter Hook certainly takes his share of leads on bass. There, there's some bass lines that are the most memorable parts of their songs, and I can't even really think of another bassist in the last you know thirty, forty years of rock where you can identify the band that's playing just from hearing one of the bass lines. Because I don't even think he's ever been copied that well. As there was other other elements in New Order, you know, you you hear certainly plenty of vocalists that kind of go for the the the, the Barnard Summer affectation or try to get a similar synth sound to Jillian Gilbert or you know stuff like that. But yeah, the the, the bass is pretty inimitable. I was I was going to say that the only contemporaries who had such a recognizable sound is, and they will they will strongly disagree with me. Um, they'll, they'll say they did it first is the beleaguered cure. I mean, okay, the way sure. that Robert, 
Robert Smith and Simon Gallup will tune the guitars, it's sometimes hard to know whether they're playing six-string bass um, or just their tunings, their guitar tunings are, are bass-like. I mean, it's hard to tell sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you talked earlier about how uh, Substance isn't actually your favorite New Order album. Uh, I assume you're going with Technique for that? Yeah, and I'll, I'll admit it with some reluctance because for many years it was an unpopular Spence. Um, for, in fact, if you go and read something like the, like the Rolling Stone album guide, the one that came out in, in late 92, early 93, the, the, the critic uh, assigned to review New Order says that Technique um, represents some kind of like retreat into dance music. I'm paraphrasing really? him. Hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas because for a long time, it was low life that dominated the conversation in part because it was the rock album and where sure. they first successfully fused those elements into, into a, a coherent whole. But I just love technique because it's, it's finally where it's usually outcastic the band for getting things right. I like mistakes. Okay. Um, but in technique, in technique, new uh, Bernard Sumner learns how to sing and sing well. Um, I don't know if he ever took vocal coach training or whatever. Um, but he, and he also, I just learned this a couple of years ago. It's the first album on which he writes most of the writes all the lyrics. Every oh. other album. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good thing, but okay. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to say earlier. I was going to disagree with you because I think he okay. wrote his, and sang best between in that Bush era, '89 to '93. He was probably singing and writing lyrics, at least, as, as good as it ever was. Um, but, yeah, the fusion of rock and disco was never more better realized with this band than on Technique. And there's a, there's a candy-coated sheen to the thing that just sounds, sounds delicious. And it's reflected on that Dayglow mm. um, uh, album sleeve, uh, the pink and the yellows and the blues. And you don't have to know that the band went to Ibiza to record a couple of of uh, tracks to know that they were partying hard, yet still creating something coherent. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and you, you say how like uh, Technique being a favorite New Order album was kind of an unpopular opinion for a long time. Uh, that makes sense, but it also makes sense in that like it, it seemed like for a long time it, it was sort of unpopular to prefer you know New Order to Joy Division in general, and that like kind of leaning towards the the, the dancier side of that equation. Uh, especially as they got further on in their career towards substance and, and, and technique, uh, that that was kind of an uncool thing for a long time. And it, it's sort of surprised me over the years as like, you know, now I, I see like my coworkers wearing Power Corruption and Lies hoodies that they get at, uh, you know, <laughs> Urban Outfitters. And, and like, it, it's cool to like New Order now. Does that surprise you? As surprising as to hear a straight guy say they have a gay best friend. <laughs> um, um, but they are, you know, like, certain kind of prehistoric mollusks still wash up on shore. I'll still meet people who prefer Joy Division, uh, in part because there is that the attraction of sadness, sure. which is missing the which is missing the point of the band, which is there's a lot of joy in Joy Division <laughs> and a lot of a lot of sadness in New Order, mm-hmm. and they're the same band, you know, uh, just reconstituted. I mean, having lost an essential member, but it's still the guys who are writing most of the music continued. Now, that's not to say that. Um, Joy Division would not have continued in New Order's direction anyway. The survivors say, yes, we can talk to the late Ian Curtis, but um, I tend to think the guys and Julian Gilbert probably agree. Um, but yeah, certainly in, in high school and college, there was they weren't disparaged exactly, but remember also that New Order disappeared between 93 and 2001. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so the Joy Division mythos took over, or rather continued through that era, and it really wasn't until the early 2000s when that Brooklyn scene, the so-called Brooklyn scene, um, the DFA sound, um, took some of those new order elements, you know, the the, the bass lines, the hat, the, the the slapdash vocals, um, the, the the almost like I said the self-generating songs, um, and reintroduced new order to a new generation. Um, and yeah, there were some, I guess, for me, some smugness, like yeah, what took you guys? So long? <laughs> Yeah, and the other part of it, I think, uh, is that you know, for, for such a long time, bands' critical receptions were kind of formed around their canonical albums. Uh, of course. And you would get uh, bands that were primarily singles bands, which you know, I, I would say that New Order is, is mostly considered as you know, I, even though I, I don't like Technique as much as you do, I do love that album, and I love Power Corruption and Lies and and Low Life and even Republic, which I think kind of gets gets a, a raw deal in the grand scheme of things. But certainly, I, I agree. But, but certainly, I would say if you talk to most people, they would say that you know New Order was the singles band and Joy Division was the albums band. You know, they had those those kind of monolithic, uh, you know, unknown pleasures and closer, uh, and, and those right. are the albums that that show up on your you know your Rolling Stone list and stuff like that. But it, it does seem like maybe as you know the album is becoming less centralized in the discussion of popular music, and that singles are are now considered you know just as important statements, and they're given the same kind of critical weight. That that's probably a, a large part of what's allowing the tide to kind of turn back in, in New Order's favor as well. Does that does that make sense to you? Well, death focuses the mind, and with with Curtis Gump and Joy Division just stopped. They mm-hmm. were frozen. It's just two albums, and when you have a, a lead singer who seemed to mean what he sang, uh, suddenly that that changes the reception of the records. So there were no there were no mediocre Joy Division albums. There were just two. <laughs> Certainly true. Are you? I can't remember. Are, are you a fan of the later period New Order albums, the post twenty first century New Order albums? I, uh, post twenty. Uh, uh, I'm a fan century. of. Yeah, I am. I am a fan of of Get Ready. Actually, um, I think the production. It's funny. It's. It, I said. I said a little while ago that that the band thought the early versions of Temptation and Confusion sounded cruddy, mm-hmm. um, but I think their self productions were actually rather good, and they. They hired Steve Osborne of the Chemical Brothers for Get Ready in 2001, and I don't like the sound of the record, but the songwriting is fairly sharp. And I have really nothing terrible to say about Waiting for the Sirens Call in 2005 either. Um, I don't listen to them often, but I don't think they embarrass... There's nothing to feel embarrassed about when you listen to those records. Um, neither is as good as Republic. Uh, another record which, as you rightly say, has been unfairly ignored, if not disparaged, especially in the British press. I mm-hmm. think if you look back and read the if you go back and read the American reviews in '93, they were pretty warm. Actually, it's like America finally got them, whereas the British would say, "Okay, you guys are done." Yeah, no, and uh, I think you know, America's probably taken with uh, with regret the song that the, the was the lead single off that album. Uh, oh yeah, which was oh, yeah. you know one of the. One of their biggest hits and probably one of their best songs that that isn't you know that didn't that was too late for substance, uh, but those those twenty first century albums I I don't know if it was that I was just coming of age as kind of a you know a, a thinking music fan or, or whatever but like if if you go back and you read the the review that I wrote for Stylus of Waiting for the Sirens Call in two thousand and five that's I remember oh you remember yeah that that was probably the most <laughs> heartbroken and, and scathing I've ever been as a critic and. I don't know if it's entirely the band's fault. It probably isn't. Uh, I'm sure if I went back and listened to that album now, it would be okay. 
but there, there's right. a certain, I don't know, like an urgency lacking, a, a certain kind of, I don't know, just like a, a, a grittiness that I felt was was there with substance. Maybe that was sure. just, uh, you know, it, it's easy to idealize those times, where, whereas when you're actually living through them, it doesn't seem as romantic. But uh, I think it probably just is a testament to just just how powerful an emotional connection they forged with those early albums that that I can write something like that, that awful Waiting for the Sirens Call review, just just in response to not feeling the same way that I heard it when it was the first time I heard Thieves Like Us or Temptation or any of those songs. Well, did, did Get Ready and Waiting for the Sirens Call have to be recorded? No, but Oscar Wilde said all art is quite useless. So I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm glad they're there, and you can take them or leave them. All right, fair point. Uh, thank you so much, Alfred Soda, for coming on. Really appreciate you talking to us, and uh, everybody go check out Humanizing the Vacuum. Look out for what Alfred's got coming next. My pleasure. Thanks for the conversation, Andrew. Cool. Lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.